And on first down, a little toss sweep goes to Chubb. And on an end around, they give it to Landry. And he's going to fire down the field into the end zone. Touchdown, Odell Beckham Jr. Around the horn they went. It went from Mayfield to Chubb to Landry. And the old southpaw fired it down to OBJ in the end zone. His sixth career touchdown against the Cowboys. All right, welcome into another Friday edition of the Rebuild Podcast. As a reminder, these podcasts are coming out each and every Friday now, so set yourself a reminder. Uh, Go ahead and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, and be on the lookout for these each and every Friday as we continue down the road of what's turning out to be a really fantastic Brown season as they sit in three and one uh, at three and one. Excuse me, after a huge win over the Cowboys. Probably the one of the more exciting Browns games that I've watched in quite some time. Now the the second half where they were holding on for dear life was not uh, was not the greatest thing in the world. It had big uh, 2002 playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers energy that I was not feeling one bit. Uh, luckily, the result was not the same. I I'll never understand why football teams after getting out to a huge lead decide to go as conservative as possible on both sides of the ball. Like, it's just this built-in mechanism that all coaches, I guess, had a meeting one day uh, in, like, 1901 and decided, like, hey, if we're up 20-plus points, we have to uh, play prevent defense and try to run the ball on every single down on offense. And that's how we're going to win the game. And then they, they like, wrote it down in a contract somewhere, and they all signed it in blood, and, and you have to do it. You just have to do it, I guess. Uh, so I'll, I'll open there a little bit of a rant there. And the Browns were up, I believe it was 41 to 14 in the second half. And they decided that on offense, they were going to hand the ball off three times in a row on almost every possession. And then they decided after punting, uh, because rarely does handing the ball off three times in a row get you a first down, um, they were going to play prevent defense or just really soft zone coverage and give up huge chunks of yardage underneath. I understand, like, the thinking behind, especially on the defensive side of the ball, like, playing that softer coverage, and if you're keeping guys in front of you and only giving them, you know, 8, 10 yards per play or per catch, that the clock is in, is going to continue to run, and, like, eventually when they're down by that many scores, it's going to be too much for them uh, to be able to come back from. But I think w- when you think like that, like, if you're giving up 15, 20-yard passes because you let an underneath wide receiver catch and run for that amount because you're just playing so far back, um, it's going to take way less time off the clock than you think, especially against an offense like Dallas where like it's just going to take a couple of passes and they're going to be in the red zone, and we saw that play out in the second half. But then like on the offensive side of the ball too, like three runs and out and punting you the browns gave the cowboys so many possessions in that second half so i think the the thinking is super flawed and i think that's something that really needs to change like across the league but um you know for stefanski he was he's already somewhere someone who is enamored with the run so handing the ball off three straight times is probably like he was probably just having a is like his fantasy come to life um but they I think play callers sometimes can get just totally caught up in their own heads and in their own, you know, what's working. And I think he probably looked up and saw what the score was and was like, oh, oh, man, we probably shouldn't have just been handing it off and uh, trying foolishly to run out the clock in the third quarter, fourth quarter, fine, or like the last like five minutes. But, man, the Browns really 
really almost gave that game right back to the Cowboys. And in past years, like it, it was shaping up to be a classic Brownsy game, uh, especially if that offensive or excuse me onside kick had been recovered by uh, the Cowboys. I was just waiting, waiting to feel that real Brownsy feeling that you get deep in the pit of your stomach. But it didn't happen because OBJ saved the day on an end around that he turned into a touchdown. And that's a nice transition into something that we talked a, a, a lot about on this podcast last week, which was getting Odell Beckham Jr. the ball is good. I, I know this is a radical position. I know this is a very polarizing and hot takey thing to say, but apparently getting the ball to probably the most, I don't know, athletically talented wide receiver in the National Football League, it's going to result in in good things, I guess, which I know that's wild to say. Uh, and we saw that bear out against the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't know if Kevin Stefanski listens to this podcast. I'm 95% sure he does. Obviously, he subscribes. He probably leaves reviews under a, under a burner account with a name like NiceBeard21 or something like that. So shout out to my guy, Kevin. I know he's listening. But we talked about it on this podcast last week how Odell Beckham Jr. has been very vocal about uh, getting the ball early in game so he can stay involved. If you watched Building the Browns, this uh, the most recent episode of Building the Browns that came out on YouTube. If you haven't, it's really enjoyable. Some of it's a little a little fluffy, but uh, the mic'd up stuff is really really good. Um, there were some clips of Jarvis Landry, especially one from Week One against Baltimore, where he is coming up to Odell Beckham Jr. and trying to keep him engaged. Uh, as sort of we see Odell moping a little bit on the sidelines. Now that game there was cause for moping. And there was cause to not um, not be as engaged as we would want Odell to be. But you saw Jarvis over there trying to kind of like keep his spirits high and keep him engaged. Um, he didn't get the ball very much that game. Uh, he had a big drop in that game. We don't need to rehash the nightmare that was Baltimore week one. But you saw Jarvis like really trying to keep him engaged. And that's we talked about this on the podcast. Like that's a huge thing. You need to keep Odell Beckham Jr. engaged. And it's going to pay dividends. And the Browns kept him more than engaged this past Sunday. Um they got him a touchdown uh, from Jarvis Landry on a nice little, I don't even want to call it, I mean, I guess it is a trick play when you have a wide receiver throwing to another wide receiver, so we can classify it as a trick play. But it was run like so smoothly and it was executed so perfectly that it didn't really feel like a trick play. But you had Odell running a nice little pattern against what looked like just a cover two, basic cover two defense from the Cowboys. Um, Baker hands it off to Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb going to the right. Nick Chubb flips the ball to Jarvis, who's coming from his left all the way around to the other side of the formation. Baker throws. I mean, the defensive lineman wasn't really trying to get past Baker Mayfield, like wasn't making much of an effort, but Baker was at least there to stand in his way. And Jarvis just throwing dots. All Jarvis does is throw dots. I got to make a video for the check down this week where uh, on on the top I put his throw to Burchard Perryman in 2018, which was probably even more of a dime than this throw to Odell Beckham Jr. It didn't go for a touchdown, but um, Jarvis has got some juice in that left arm. Uh, so the Browns, you know, if they ever have an emergency quarterback situation, you know, God forbid, but put Jarvis out there. Let's go. Let's get my southpaw guy out there and uh, let him run wild with that offense. But, you know, just a really beautiful play. And I think something that's overlooked, obviously this play has been talked about a lot and it really got the Browns offense and Odell off to a really, really hot start that really didn't let up for the entire game until the Browns, like I said, went super conservative um, at the uh, in the second half. But 
I think something that's a little overlooked is, so the play setup was great. You know, you get the whole defensive line and linebackers flowing towards Nick Chubb as he goes right. And then by the time he flips it back to Jarvis, uh, Jarvis has, you know, just miles of grass in front of him. Um, but a really small detail in that play was that the other route, essentially outside of Nick Chubb, who kind of curled around uh, the right side after he flipped the ball to Jarvis as a as a receiver out of the backfield. But um, the Browns brought Harrison Bryant across the formation from left, excuse me, from right to left. And what that did was really briefly brought one of the, I think it was the cornerback, I th- maybe it was one of the linebackers that had dropped in the coverage. So the Browns brought Harrison Bryant from, on the formation from the right side of the formation to the left, kind of coming across real shallow. But what it did was it took one of the cornerbacks who was sort of like hovering in the middle of the field at this point. Um, this cornerback, now it looked like a little bit his, his zone responsibility was this sort of middle of the field, whether he was playing a robber or whatever he was playing. So he probably wasn't going to run with Odell Beckham Jr. But there weren't really any other routes going on. So he could have, if he wanted to, and he, he had no other responsibilities, he could have made it or tried to jump in the throwing window or whatever. But Harrison Bryant does just enough coming across the formation that he pulls that attention from that middle cornerback, that middle DB, and keeps him in that middle of the field area. And um, as Odell sort of gets past... Uh, the outside corner, who in in that cover two responsibility for him is playing sort of that the flat curl area over there and passes Odell off to the safety. Uh, when the Browns tossed it to Nick Chubb, that safety took, and I tweeted this earlier today, you can check out the screenshot, but that safety took one step towards the left as he saw Nick Chubb starting to go to go that direction. Now, it was a really, really small step, but it was enough with Odell's speed that Odell was already behind him, and, and the safety was in recovery mode, and all Jarvis had to do was just throw it over the top, which is exactly what he did. Um, and it resulted in a touchdown in one of the more you know explosive plays the Browns have had all season. So that was huge. Um, and that play design, I just thought, was really, really great. Like Kevin Stefanski, executed to perfection. And it's really just a beautiful thing to watch the Browns execute stuff like this. Uh where it looks like stuff is going off without a hitch, especially compared to a lot of what we saw last year. Um, and I, it reminded me, too, last night as I was watching the the Buccaneers and Bears Thursday night game where there were seemingly a thousand penalty flags thrown. And the broadcast, Joe Buck and Troy Eggman, kept bringing up that the Bucks are the most penalized team in the league and the Bears were, like, the fifth most uh, penalized team in the league. And at one point, you know, the Buccaneers had eight penalties for 70 yards and, I don't have the stat in front of me of how many times the Browns have been penalized this season, but it really feels like it has not been very much at all. And it, there certainly haven't been any huge money plays that have gotten called back on penalties. And you're just really seeing, and this is something I think none of us fully realized when Freddie Kitchens was named head coach uh, last season, just really what it takes and a coaching staff and how important it is just for discipline and execution these are just such huge things. And this coaching staff compared to last year's coaching staff, it is night and day. And it's only been four weeks and the Browns are doing this with a pandemic shortened off season and no preseason and outside of that first game against Baltimore, which was a total disaster. Now they've had hiccups in all of these games that they've, the three games in a row that they've won since, but like they are putting in stuff on the, especially on the offensive end uh where the execution just looks flawless, whether it's blocking in the run game or, you know, plays like this, 
with Odell. And Odell could have had a, a monster game. There were a couple other plays where he got wide open, where either Baker, the read wasn't to that side of the field or he didn't see him, or there was pressure in Baker's face, he couldn't get to him. Odell could have had easily like 350 total yards in that game against the Cowboys, but we'll take what he gave us. And I wrote this down while the game was going on. Like That was the most uh, electric a game from wide receivers the Browns have had since Josh Gordon. Like There's no question. And this is how you use Odell Beckham Jr. in the flow of the offense. This is how you get him involved creatively, whether it's stuff like this, where he's catching a touchdown pass from his former LSU teammate, and him and Jarvis have talked about how special that was. Like, it's little things like that. I don't know if Stefanski did that on purpose. Obviously, Jarvis has a good arm, and he's done it before, but just, like, little things to just keep Odell Beckham Jr. happy and having fun playing football. Uh, And you're seeing, like, the difference in quotes between, you know, after week one and, and now is huge. And then you're getting him involved on end arounds where he makes one cut and he's gone. He's to the house. He had another end around that went for like 15 yards earlier in the game. Um, you're throwing to him in the red zone, which seems like a really small thing, but the Browns never, <laughs> the Browns is well documented, like never did it last year. Uh, so just a lot of different ways that the Browns are getting Odell involved. They get out of Jerry World with a victory. We said on this podcast, like one of the biggest victories for them in a, in a while, despite how bad uh, the Cowboys defense is. Just a huge win, and now they're sitting at three and one, um, second in the division after Baltimore, and uh, or excuse me, after the Steelers, and um, just a really a really big win, uh, and now they have another big game in front of them against the Colts, and we will we will get to that momentarily as we preview that. A um, couple of things I just wanted to touch on though before we get to the the preview of that was. One, I want to give Sheldon Richardson a shout out. I think he's been really, really good on the interior for the Browns this season, um, especially in the pass rush. Uh, he's been able to shed blockers and get after the quarterback, uh, and the Browns have really missed that. Um, Larry Ogunjobi is still not really that guy in terms of pass rushing. Ogunjobi's been great against the run this season. Um, you know, he's always been a pretty good guy against the run and getting off his blocks and shutting down the run game. But Sheldon Richardson has really been uh, a nice little um, compliment to Miles Garrett, who, you know, the stats speak for themselves on him. Uh, he's playing out of his mind. But Sheldon Richardson, Richardson has been that second guy uh, to kind of get in there because uh, Olivier, Olivier Vernon's been pretty disappointing. He did have a fumble recovery against the Cowboys. He, he had a couple nice plays in the run game. But in terms of just getting after the quarterback, Olivier Vernon's been both with injuries and just his play, uh, yeah, fairly disappointing. So, you know, it, it was kind of just miles out there, and now Sheldon's flashing a little bit this season so far, and that's a huge that's a huge deal. The Browns' defense is still miles has miles to go, but they at, at the very least they have a handful of guys. If it's whether it's Miles Garrett, whether it's Denzel Ward, and maybe a little bit out of Sheldon Richardson, where guys can make a play and get a turnover, even though they're giving up a ton of points and a ton of yardage. Um, this Browns' defense right now has to ride the backs of those guys and get timely turnovers and timely stops. Uh, teams are going to score against them. That's just going to, it's just the way it's going to be until they sort of get Joe Woods' scheme down and are able to kind of like get everybody healthy. But um, so shout out to Sheldon Richardson for giving Miles some relief out there on the field. Um, you know, we've talked about Andrew Sandejo out there at the safety position, um, you know, had some plays a lot of people were pointing to that C.D. Lamb sort of busted coverage that Joe Wood said was not uh, Anderson Dejo's responsibility. So I think you throw that one out the window. But there's just lots of little things that you watch with him, whether he's 
instead of going for a tackle, he's trying to like spearhead himself into the football, which he tried to do when um, Dak Cooper, Dak Cooper, interesting, uh, Dak Prescott threaded the needle to Amari Cooper uh, for a touchdown pass where it didn't even look like he was trying to make a play on the ball. He was just kind of like torpedo mode. Um, there was a clip I tweeted earlier today. Where he just he bit on a play fake as hard as I've ever seen anyone like that would be me butting on a play fake like even the linebackers had turned around and were like oh he's uh, Dak still got the ball we better get back to our positions and Sendejo was like still running after Ezekiel Elliott so it's just been a really tough year for for him right now it's actually been a pretty tough year for both Brown safeties Carl Joseph and Sendejo uh, PFF grades have well Sendejo's at a forty six point nine so far this season which is super below average Carl Joseph is only at a forty nine point four so um, both really really just not having good years the safety position obviously obviously when Grant Delpit went down it was really really tough um, Ronnie Harrison is continuing to sort of learn the defense and get himself up to speed and I think when he gets more snaps that should help that back end but man Sendejo and Joseph have have really kind of been a it's just been tough um, and especially Sendejo who, who seems to be involved in a lot of broken plays and big yardage and, and all of that and um, yeah it's just going to be tough for the Browns on the back end of that defense with these two guys to you know stop giving up as many points as they've sort of given up the season. Um, you know, I was curious too, as we sort of transition into this next game against the Colts, against a very good Colts defense, but you know, the run game has been so successful. Um, and something we, we didn't see last year was, uh, you know, the use of 12 personnel just in general, but uh, the running game has sort of been great regardless of the personnel the Browns have had out on the field. Uh, Baker Mayfield is still left a little bit to be desired, I think, from the quarterback position. Um, I think we're going to need, the Browns are going to need more from him, and we'll, we'll touch on that on a minute. I think this is going to be, be the weekend where they, where they need that from him. But what was sort of head-scratching about last season, uh, especially with Freddie Kitchens at the helm after they ran so many plays for Baker out of 12 personnel, was they, they just rarely did it last season. Uh, they really didn't use it. When they did use it, Baker was successful, uh, but they just did not use it a lot. So I was curious through four weeks, like how much 12 personnel the Browns have used. Um, and I was pleasantly, not even surprised. I know Kevin Stefanski was, loves to use his tight ends, loves to use Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant. And now the Browns will get David and Joku back for this game against the Colts. But, um, it was nice to see the Browns have run 78 plays out of 12 personnel this season. That's third in the NFL uh, behind just uh, Arizona and Philly. Uh, and Baker Mayfield, out of 12 personnel, he's 30 of 42. He's thrown three touchdowns, no interceptions, and he's got a passer rating of 117.5. So really good numbers to see for Baker. Um, you know, they were, they, you can run a lot of play action out of 12 personnel. And again, that's one running back and two tight ends on the field. But, you know, the Browns' use of the tight ends has been as advertised uh, for Kevin Stefanski. And, you know, it's just great to see the offense playing to its strengths, which has been the running game and which has been giving Baker, you know, more protection and, and being able to use his tight ends in the play-action fake out of 12 personnel in a, in a really uh, way that makes the game easier for him. And I think this is what you were really hoping with Kevin Stefanski, and it, and it has come to fruition. Um, and that's just really, really positive to see. Um, and I, you know, with Njoku back, it'll be fascinating to see how they use all three tight ends at once. Uh, Njoku was actually played very well. He was one of the few players that played really well against Baltimore in week one before he got hurt. So it'll be really fascinating to see how they involve everybody in that. But, um, nice to see the Browns out of 12 personnel really, 
really just using it, just using it frequently. It's their second most, I think they've used it on 30% of their plays. It's their second most used formation outside of 11 personnel, which is, you know, sort of the, the traditional three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back that, um, you know, is sort of like a base formation, but, um, that's their second most used is 12 personnel and it, it's beautiful to see. And Baker is obviously flourishing, uh, inside of it. And, um, you hope to see that continue. Um, so as the as the Browns look to take on the Colts this weekend, um, probably their toughest opponent, not so much because of the offense. Uh, the Colts are kind of like middle of the road offensively. You know, Philip River is still finding his way on his on his new team. Marlon Mack went out. Uh, their very their stud running back went out for the year early in the season. Jonathan Taylor, the rookie from Wisconsin, has taken on a lot of responsibility as the main running back there now, and he's super talented, but. The Colts boast a number one defense in the NFL in a, a myriad of, of categories. I like using DVOA from Football Outsiders. That's defense-adjusted value over average. Um, and the Colts are, are number one in defensive DVOA. They are fifth against the rush, and they are second against the pass uh, in the league. So both uh, running, teams both running the ball and trying to throw the ball have, have struggled against the Colts. And this is going to be a really big test for the Browns' defense, and it's going to be... And this is going to be a really big test for the Browns' offense. And it's going to be a really big test because as as Nick Chubb has gone on IR, they're going to rely heavily on Kareem Hunt, who I think is going to ball. I think you're going to see why he was the rushing champion for Kansas City in, in 2017 when he ran for almost 1,400 yards. I think you're going to see why he's, you know, he's <laughs> to have him as your backup running back is an incredible luxury. But the issue is now with Nick Chubb out, your backups behind Kareem Hunt and guys are going to be getting more carries are both Darius Johnson and Dontrell Hilliard, uh, guys that just don't have, you know, no disrespect to them, but just don't have the ability of a Kareem Hunt uh, or a Nick Chubb. So now the drop-off from the guy that's your starting running back to the guys who you want to bring in to give that starting running back some time, you know, on the sideline are guys that don't quite have the ability uh, as your starters. And even though we saw Darnus Johnson and Hilliard rack up some really big yardage against the Cowboys, like this is obviously not the Cowboys defense. This is a much, much tougher defense, even without Darius Leonard, even with some injuries that the Colts are dealing with. Um, and something that was, that was really interesting from uh, Stephen Ruiz, who was on this podcast a couple weeks ago, who's a, a lead writer for, for, for the win was, uh, tweeted out a, uh, excuse me, wrote a stat uh, about the Browns running backs in that 215 of the Browns' 295 rushing yards against the Cowboys last Sunday, they came after contact. And the Browns runners, uh, they forced nine missed tackles. And a lot of that is obviously Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Um, obviously, Ernest Johnson... And Hilliard were involved in breaking some of those tackles and got more carries in the second half. But like this has been the Browns, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are absolutely elite at making the first guy miss. So the blocking scheme for the Browns has been incredible. It's been so good. But what's really made the Browns running game go is that once, you know, Kareem Hunt or Nick Chubb gets through that initial hole that's made by the offensive line, they're also making a guy who is unblocked or is coming at them miss. And that is what has led to some of these really big runs. And that's why the Browns have probably the best running game in the NFL right now. 
So the question for this weekend is going to be, we already know Kareem Hunt can do it, but can to Ernest Johnson when he's got to come in on a, a third down to spell Kareem Hunt or, you know, or whatever down, or, you know, Dontrell Hilliard coming in uh, in the run game in the second half. Like, can these guys make the first man miss in the way that Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb can? That's going to be really fascinating to watch. I think that's going to be a huge key to this game uh, against the Colts, against, again, the number two defense in DVOA uh, against the pass and the number five defense uh, DVOA uh, against the rush. Going to be a huge thing to watch. And that sort of leads to the final the final point in this preview is that Baker Mayfield is going to have to have his best game of the season. Because without Nick Chubb, and really, you know, Kareem Hunt hasn't had to carry this sort of load that he's going to carry, uh, much less against a defense like the Colts, in a really long time. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of, like, snap count the Browns are going to have him on in general to keep him fresh. So this is going to be Baker Mayfield's chance to prove to, I think, himself and I think to us as we sort of continue to hope that Baker Mayfield can get back to the level of quarterback he was in 2018. I think up to this point, it's been a very sort of structured and efficient play from Baker. He's really operated well within the constraints of Kevin Stefanski's scheme. I think Sunday, he's going to have to be both inside the scheme and outside of it. When he has to make plays, when he's got to get off his first read, when he's got to break the pocket, like he's got to be, he's going to have to be the quarterback that he was in 2018. And I think this is an opportunity to to show that and to assuage some fears that he's not. And without Baker doing that uh, and putting that on his shoulders, I think this game is going to be really tough for the Browns um, to win against a defense that 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 is that good because they're the Browns defense is still such a work in progress. Philip Rivers is such a savvy veteran quarterback. Uh, they're you know T.Y. Hilton's out there. They're a, they're a talented offense. They're probably going to put up some points. This is going to be especially if the Colts focus on taking away the run, which I think a lot of these teams are going to try and start to do and make Baker Mayfield beat you. I think this is going to be one of the first games where Baker Mayfield is going to have to beat an opponent. Um, I think he has it in him. I, I still think he has some of the... He, he's shown in, in little flashes some of the throws that he can that he can make and, and how talented he is in terms of his arm and his ability to throw on the run. Stefanski's going to put him in a position to succeed, but there's going to be times in this game, obviously, where he's going to have to succeed sort of outside of that structure, and that's where Baker has to become the guy that we thought he was uh, after 2018. So I think the keys, as we said last week against the Cowboys, keys this week are going to be Ernest Johnson and Hilliard making that first guy miss when they've got to come in for Hunt and continuing to keep this Browns running game a finely tuned machine, getting OBJ involved, um, you know, Xavier Rhodes, good cornerback for the Colts, but a guy like TJ Carey, former Brown, is out there. Uh, Rakia Sin is out there as well. Not really up to the standards of corners that are going to be able to stay with Odell Beckham Jr., especially if they ever have to go up against him one-on-one. There's very few guys in general in the league that can do that. Uh, I don't think anybody on this Colts team can. So um, you get OBJ involved like you did against Dallas. Uh, you hopefully can continue to lean on the run game, but if not, you, you lean on Baker's arm and you say, Baker, right, like, let's go, dude. Let's go get this, let's get this win off the strength of your arm. And the Browns could walk out of first energy stadium at four and one, which is, uh, would be something to behold and would probably be there. You know, the Cowboys, I still think is a really great win despite how bad their defense is. Like that offense is 
really good, and I, I think the Cowboys are going to be probably still win that division just because of the talent that they have there and how bad the rest of the division is. This Colts team um, is going to be probably the best overall team that the Browns have faced in a win against them. Once again, you're, you're stacking these good wins on top of each other. You went... You went Bengals, Washington, lower tier, but you beat them like you were supposed to. You took a step up. You went on the road. You dropped 49 points on the Dallas Cowboys. Came out of there with a win. Now it's time to play a more complete, especially a really good defensive team in the Colts. You beat them, and then I think people really start to believe that this Browns team is legit. Um, we already know the running game's legit, but... If we can see Baker go out and win a game with his arm, you really, really start to feel like, at least offensively, this is a very complete team. You give this defense more time to sort of get healthy and, and learn Joe Wood's scheme and, and all of that, and uh, you start really feeling good about stuff. So, once again, no predictions here. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I I like that it's at home. I feel good about it. Um I feel good about what the offense was able to do last week, and I think they're continuing to sort of roll along installing Stefanski's scheme. But, you know, the run game is going to be a huge focus, and it's going to be big for Kareem Hunt. It's going to be some big opportunities for Hilliard and, and Johnson. And, um, you know, but I think Baker's the guy. So, as always, thank you uh, for listening to The Rebuild. Just as a uh, just to repeat, every Friday this is coming out. I think some guests I have scheduled are... Mina Kimes coming uh, later this season. I think my guy, my guy Andrew Hawkins is going to hop on with me later this season. So more guests to come as I get them scheduled out in sort of this crazy Zoom meeting world. But um, thank you as always for listening. Please rate and subscribe and, and tell a friend to tell a friend. And uh, hopefully the Browns get this dub against the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday.